Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you, one another, and the whole world. Amen. In case you missed it, let me summarize the gospel lesson. Blessed are you who are living in abject poverty, weeping uncontrollably, ravenously hungry, disposable, desperate, and completely unimportant. Woe to you who are rich, full, happy, and popular. Hmm. A little context here. The words we hear, the blessed ours, may and should sound familiar. A version of them also appear in the Gospel of Matthew and are known collectively as the Beatitudes. Now, there are some obvious differences in Matthew's and Luke's telling. In Matthew's Gospel, there are nine Beatitudes. In Luke's, we hear only four, plus four what I'm going to call woeitudes in which each woe is connected to something that people do their best to achieve. Money, food, laughter, esteem. There's a reason why Luke's version doesn't appear on needle-pointed wall hangings, because it feels like kind of a bummer. Matthew's version is part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's is called the Sermon on the Plain. I imagine that Jesus probably preached some variation of this sermon multiple times. He was, after all, on the move, going all over the place, and his message didn't really change all that much. But in Luke, the fact that Jesus comes down from the mountain, where he has been praying with his chosen disciples, and stands among the people on what Luke refers to on a level place, is significant. The word level in the Old Testament, as used by prophets such as Jeremiah, Daniel, and Joel, refers to places of death, disgrace, suffering, misery, and mourning. It is into that type of place we, tell, we are told that Jesus walks and puts himself in the same place as the crowds gathered around him. This crowd includes those closest to him, the 12 whom he has just named apostles, a broader group of people who have been following him, referred here more broadly as disciples, and then all of those who have been come as from far away as Jerusalem in the south and Tyre and Sidon on the Mediterranean coast. Several days worth of walking for some people have brought Jews and Gentiles alike to listen to Jesus teach. And what does he do just before he begins to speak? Anybody? He heals them, all of them. But back to the blessings and the woes. As a child, I remember being slightly confused when I would hear the Beatitudes. Was Jesus saying that it was good to mourn, to be poor, to be persecuted? Were we meant to suffer so that at some point we could then be blessed? The blessing and woe language can really trip us up, I think, because when we hear those words, blessing and woe, we translate them into something like 
reward, and punishment. Am I the only one that does that? Oh, good. Now I see nodding. Thank you, choir. Thanks for being there with me. Um, so the blessings kind of feel like something that we will be given when we do what we're supposed to be doing, and the woes will be heaped on us when we do things that we shouldn't be. But where does that leave us in this context? Do we find ourselves asking, where do I fit in this list? How do I move myself from the woes to the blessed? Am I to sit down and sob, do my best to ruin my reputation so no one speaks well of me? Obviously, this isn't the case. Jesus isn't saying that suffering and poverty and grieving is God's will for the world. The fact that he heals all who have come to him in this moment shows that the exact opposite is true. Jesus' ministry is all about healing, abundance, liberation, joy for all. Nor is Jesus being prescriptive here. He's not saying God's going to bless you because you are poor. God's going to bless you if you are suffering. As Barbara Brown Taylor so succinctly puts it, these beatitudes and woes are not advice at all, not even judgment. It's simply the truth about the way things work. When Jesus announces that the bereft, the hungry, the vulnerable, and empty are blessed, he is saying to those who are suffering that God sees them and declares them holy, no matter what the world says of them or what others believe. And when Jesus declares woe to those who are rich, well-fed, enjoying popularity and admiration, he isn't saying that these things are inherently bad, but rather, if we get focused on those worldly and external markers of success, if in satisfying our own appetites we have moved from being God-centered to world-centered, that's going to lead to nowhere good. Not because God punishes, but because we are then out of sync with one another and with God and God's desire for all of us as creations, as creation. It reminds me of the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu's quote, my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. Also, Jesus doesn't offer four blessings to one audience and four woes to another. His sermon is not a sorting exercise between the good folks and the bad folks. He addresses every blessing and every woe to every person. In other words, our God is a God of both comfort and challenge, and in God's world, we are all of us on this one level. Blessed and woeful, occupying the plane of this beautiful and broken world together. Now, Jesus was very consciously countering the message of shame and exclusion that the poor, the sick, the hungry, the hated people experienced in that day. And it's not so different today. But these were radical, radical pronouncements that Jesus was making. They flipped upside down all of the expectations of the time. And then what Jesus invited his disciples into, that absurd, radical, foolish work of doing it all differently, of throwing everything up in the air, also the same work for us today. 
It's another week when all of our lessons point to this reality. I encourage you to go back and read them because they're beautiful. But Jeremiah, blessed are those who trust in God, whose trust is God. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. Or our psalm for today, Psalm 1, the very first word in the lengthy, complex book of psalms is happy. And blessed can be actually translated as happy as well. And it is those who follow God, who meditate on God's desires for the world, who once again find themselves like the tree whose roots reach down into the source of water. And when they are so grounded in that life-giving source, the wickedness around them, it's like chaff that can be blown away on a breeze. Next week, we will hear the very next words which Jesus addresses to this crowd and to us. After describing the reality of the world, Jesus teaches about how we change things, how we get closer to the world where the hungry are fed, the brokenhearted healed, the rejected are accepted. I'll give you a little preview. Love, everyone, do good to everyone. So I want us to hear these blessing and woes as good news this morning, because they remind us that our worth, our blessedness, is not in the shiny, perfect, everything going for us moments. No, it is in the moments of recognition of the world's stark reality that we allow God in. And it reminds us that the same is true for every human being. If we become complacent in our blessedness and believe it is ours because we are righteous, then woe to us. And if we simply move through life without recognizing the moral complexities and challenges and tangles of our interconnected web and become paralyzed by despair or decide it's not our problem or don't even try to unravel them, then woe to us. If we are full and we do not do what we can to alleviate the suffering of others, to share in that shared humanity, then again, woe to us. But when we meet Jesus on that metaphorical plane, recognizing that there is no space between those who suffer and those who rejoice, we will, all of us, together, move toward the healing and redemption and life-giving source which God desires for us and for all of creation. Amen.